Welcome to episode 18 of Probably Holly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. As always, I am your host, Michael Hayne. And I'm your co-host, Mandy Conant. Before we get started today, there are a couple of announcements that I wanted to go over, or I think I had a couple, but I lost all of them, so we'll just do the one. But there's one thing I wanted to quickly cover. I had a listener ask why sometimes Sarah's not here and sometimes Mandy's not here. It's it's not as intentional as I think people think, because they were wondering if I'm making choices about who's appropriate for what subject. No, Sarah and I just suck we at schedules. Very, <laughs> we have very complicated schedules, and sometimes that means we can't all make it. I have the most flexible schedule, so I make all of them, but everybody does what they can with the amount of workload they have. But we do try. Nothing so Machiavellian, no particular rhyme or reason. We do sometimes prioritize what order we do the shows in to try and make sure the people who have the most to say about them and the most interest get to be there. It's very democratic, really. If either the host says, I want to be at this topic no matter what, and they can't make it, we just shift topics, rotate, record later. So I know it's always sad for any of us when any of us miss any of the episodes, but I don't think anyone's missed an episode they really wanted to be a part of yet. Well, I was just going to let the listeners know that we actually just roll a 12-sided die, and that's how we decide <laughs> who's going to be on the podcast. That's how we Michael's decide. Michael's just really lucky. I always roll twice. <laughs> All right, so today's topic is the how-to guide on opening up an existing non-nonmonogamous... A monogamous. Opening up a monogamous <laughs> Non-nonmonogamous. And I guess probably you could use the same steps to open up varying polyfidelitous relationships as well. So if you found yourself in a closed triad early on because you were used to more of a closed system and you're realizing that's not working for you, that's going to be a hard thing to broach just as much as if you're in a monogamous relationship and you realize it's not really working for you, I think. Yeah. A rarer circumstance indeed, but... Well, I was trying to think if it would be harder. I mean, some things about it would be harder for sure. You've already done the negotiations and people thought you were all on the same page. Right. But I guess it's the same way in monogamy. It depends on where you are in monogamy. So if you've been dating for a few months or something, that's different than if you've been married for four years. But yeah, if you got right. married and you were You're not very, very deep in the book after four months. You're really just still on the first couple chapters. Sure. So I, I think it depends on the circumstance. But I can see how it would be harder if you'd already had all the soil searching and did all the work and decided this was the system for you. Right. But I think a lot of people also go through that stage. So I think it's worth saying because... I think really early on, before we had the lived experience of dating people and doing all the reading about how it's just not really plausible to expect your partners to date your partners or to have these very limited spaces, I think we were hoping for a polyfidelitous relationship, my partner and I. Mm. And then after a while, we had to sit down and have that talk again and go, "This is that's never going to work. We can't tell people you've got to date two people. We can't tell people that we're looking to close things off. You can't. It's just not going to work. <laughs> We had to have multiple talks like that. My first poly relationship was polyfidelitous. So, mm-hmm. but it kind of ended on its own. There was an end to right. it, and then there was a renegotiation after it, mm-hmm. and then that was never a thing again. Right. And you got to renegotiate when that relationship ended completely. You got to renegotiate with right. yourself and say, okay, here's what I'm doing going forward. Yes. My partner and I renegotiated, and I rene- like you said, I renegotiated with myself. And I just said I was never going to be in that situation again. The first question you have to ask is, how did the idea come up? If your partner has brought it to you, you can go ahead and skip this step probably. But if you brought it to your partner, then you have to ask, 
how can you introduce it to them? What are the steps for putting your best foot forward, both ethically and for your own success speaking, to bring this to their attention? So you've got to identify your why. Yeah. I was going to say, the first thing, the first step of almost every step is going to be doing soul searching again. Yeah. If you're monogamous and trying to open up your relationship, if we haven't said it enough, you're going to be doing an incredibly large amount of emotional labor, negotiation, self-negotiation, etc. Why? You're going to have to be able to explain why you want to be polyamorous. And what are some reasons, maybe not just your reasons, but what are some reasons why? That way we can maybe help some listeners put it into actual words. Because sometimes it's hard to to, to flesh out those feelings into actual words to communicate them to someone else. Yeah, that's exactly right. One of the most common whys, of course, is that many people experience polyamory not as a preference, but as an orientation. So if you think that you experience it as an orientation and it's something you discovered late, Which is highly controversial. Which is highly controversial, but I'm not going to tell people what their orientation is or isn't. Right. If you think that that's your orientation, that's an important thing to share. And your partner gets to decide whether or not they agree with that. But that would be one reason. Something similar, which is not exactly an orientation per se, but is sort of in the same ballpark, is you have looked at your life and you've realized that you don't want to live the kind of life that's only with one partner. And that can be from a freedom standpoint, or that can be from an authentic relationship standpoint. But you want something that's beyond the bounds of your current relationship. Correct, yes. Because I also know people who are monogamous who don't care if you have completely non-sexual romantic entanglements, right? It depends just on what you perceive monogamy to be. For whatever reason, something about your current monogamous arrangement is not allowing you to have the sort of authentic relationships you want with other people in a way that you feel pressured or pushed by is a common reason. And specifically, if you have found a person that you do have feelings for that you want to engage with or move forward with those feelings. Right. And I... I will say this, I think with one exception, and this is all about gender roles and toxic monogamy and all the the things that we have going on in that realm, that's the hardest way to, to approach it, I think. But I think that it would probably be easier to come to the table with feelings rather than sexual urges. Does that make sense? Granted that sexual urges are a type of feeling, but... And statistically, that would depend, in our culture at least, on what gender you are. Oh, you think so? In studies where they've asked, is cheating emotional or is cheating sexual? Women are much more likely to identify emotion as Absolutely. cheating. So yeah, if as okay. a guy, you come to them and say, I have an emotional attachment, they'll say, you're just cheating already. Men are much more likely to zone in on sex as cheating. So I think for sure, if you're a woman that has emotional attachments and not sexual attachments, you're going to have an easier time if your partner is a male. Male identifying. Male identifying. Then you will if your partner is female identifying. That's just an American statistic, of course. And like all statistics, your particular instance might not reflect right. that. So it's so your partner mean that for sure that's how your partner feels know your audience (laughs) and then i think it's ideal for you to not have someone in mind so if you think you're you want to be polyamorous i would broach the topic sooner rather than later both because the earlier you do it the less the other person feels lied betrayed or hidden from right and if you do it before you have emotions or attachments to someone the person doesn't have to immediately confront that if they say yes you'll do something i almost want to say that i didn't know like i knew it was possible to have feelings for more than one person because Mm -hmm. obviously you have like the ex that you can't get over i'd been in that situation before but i didn't know that you could have 
feelings on that level for someone else as well as, you know, who else you were with. Like, I didn't realize that that was a possibility. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I didn't realize that polyamory was even a possibility. Right. A lot of these situations, you don't have a choice about how they come up. Right. What I was saying is if you're listening to this podcast and you think you might be polyamorous and you oh, yeah. don't have an interest right now, definitely do it front loaded. Yes. Go at that before you have an interest. Right. So it's a different question if you have an interest, because I think it's harder if you have an interest. But I do think that most of us in some way or another had that dual interest. My story wasn't the same as yours, right. but it was very much a, I have two interests and I need you to respect both interests. And that's how we started this whole thing. Right. I think that's part of being in the older crowd, the sort of front wave of new polyamory, so to speak, because yeah. a lot of the younger people that I know are at least so much aware of polyamory that they're we, listening yeah. to it, thinking about it, talking about it and making decisions while they're, that that might be a thing you'd even get into on dates these days. You go on a date and you say, well, okay, are you interested long-term in being monogamous or polyamorous, which was never Never, like you said, I didn't. I hadn't even heard. I didn't a know concept the term. Like yeah. it, I only knew monogamy and cheating. Right. <laughs> and I, I guess I knew that at some point or in some countries there are people who, you know, owned other people, basically like property, who had multiple wives or multiple. Right. I knew it was a religious thing. Depending on the scenario, there were definitely religious sects that had multiple wives, and I had never heard of multiple husbands before. But nothing like. The way that polyamory does it, which is that it's through choice and consent and open communication right. for everybody. It only was weird societal pressures forcing groups of women to marry one guy and all sorts of horror stories like the Lost Boys in those communities where they force out unmarried men so that the men that stay can have more wives, that sort of thing. Yeah. Nothing where I was going, I want that model. Yeah. That's exciting. That was not at all <laughs> what uh, I was going for. I don't want to say that it's I, I, it's a lot easier for people today than it was 17 years ago for me, but it is. The term's more widely yeah, I do. known. There's, I want to say that. <laughs> but I don't want to discount I, I it. I don't want to say that, that it's... That the, the discussion's going to be any easier than it was for me. It's not that it's not hard, but I do think it is easier. As we've said before, emotional responses are primarily responses to counter-normative events. Right. So if something is more normative... It's a less emotional response. A less emotional response causes less uh, anger, less angst, less blame. It just starts you in a better position. Does that mean the conversation will be easy? No, 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 and no. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Fundamentally, restructuring of a relationship is ever an easy conversation to have. Yeah. And we've talked about how hard it is to even have the conversation with people that we're with that we want to restructure into some other loving relationship that's different because it's always painful to know that things are changing. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying it's not hard, but I definitely think we had it a lot harder, both in having the conversation and then in having good outcomes because we had no map. This Everything was just there were no walking books. around in a dark Everybody's room. Everybody's books these yeah. days. Franklin Vo wrote a great book or two, and there's many, many books out there. Liz Powell's wrote a book now. I think Cunning Minx right. has written a book. Hell, there's comics. <laughs> yeah. So why do you want to be polyamorous? You got to figure that out for yourself. But also go and get a bunch of books. You can just look up some that are really good. I, I don't know. I hesitate. Like I hesitate to recommend any specific book because I have yet to read a book that I felt like, yeah, this is just a good, solid book about polyamory. Well, I would say that the community definitely recommends More Than Two by Franklin Vo. Yeah, I have some issues with that specifically, but right, as do I. But, <laughs> but it, it, is it is a good it is starting a good place point. to start. Yeah, it's it, a I mean, good I read it, and I don't think it wasn't helpful. I also think The Ethical Slut is really good. I know it's an older one, but I really like that one. 
There's also a book polyamory specific. called Relationship Agreements that's mm-hmm. really good. I haven't read Opening Up. Have you read that one? I have not. And that one is a book that at least is explicitly about opening up, so it would probably that would be, be one that I would look into. <laughs> it's it. When I first wanted to learn about polyamory and I found the term, I just Googled top 10 polyamory books and, you know, yep. five different sites rating the top 10 books came up on Google. I read the synopses and picked out two or three that sounded like what I would want to read and then read them. Yep. You know, and that's how I came across Sex at Dawn, which I always recommend. It's one of my favorites because I like science. <laughs> So read, and that will help you form a lot of these questions. Once you know why you want to be polyamorous, the next, I think, hard question for a lot of people is, are you okay with your partner being every bit as polyamorous as you were going to be? You definitely have to wear their shoes. And I want to note that that means, even if that means they're going to be differently polyamorous. Right. Even if, say, you want to sleep with someone new that's of the same gender as you, if you want to go that route, they have to be free to sleep with whatever they're interested in. Because you, you see this go both ways. You do see people say, well, I'm interested in sleeping with partner of my same gender, so my partner can only sleep with partners of their same gender, not partners of my gender, but right. their partner isn't pan or bi. And so it's sort of a poly loophole, like, well, I'm going to be poly, and you really can't be because I'm only giving you access to what you're not interested in. Yep. And, of course, the most common and most disturbing version of that is the, the guy thing where the guy says, well, I'm going to sleep with women, and you can sleep with women. Right. <laughs> to his female partner. And he's partner. really asking can you sleep with women? <laughs> if even he's doing that. But mostly he's just saying, I want to be open and I don't want you to be with a man. And it's and we've talked about how that's a problem. Oh, no. We so, know he's saying, can you sleep with women? Because that is every man's dream. Holly <laughs> or not, straight or not, men love to see women together. Even gay men love to see women together. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I learned something new today. So you have to be clear that you're okay with that. And if you're not okay with that, I think you need to go back and to, to rule number one and do more soul searching because if you're not going to be okay with that, you shouldn't even bring this up. Right. Because that's the only part of this coming out that's going to end up being ethical and fair and safe for everyone is if you're okay with that. Yeah, definitely the whole goose and gander. You have to put the other person's shoes on and think about how you would react to them coming to you with the same thing. And then the third thing I think you have to to ask yourself is, are you willing to stay in the relationship if the relationship can't become polyamorous? If your partner says, under no circumstances will I be polyamorous, you need to know if that's something you can accept, and you need to sort of know why you can or cannot. If you have a boundary around that, something like, I don't think I'm going to live my most fulfilled life with you if you're not going to be able to be polyamorous. I don't know. I don't think you need to know that when you're going into the conversation. Well, I don't think you can ever know anything like that about yourself until you're in the situation, but I think you need to have thought it through. Well, you need to have definitely thought about it, but I don't think, you don't have to go into the conversation with, I'm going to go at him or her with this, and if they're not okay with it, then... I'm leaving the relationship. I think you have to go into the conversation just as open-minded as you want them to be. Yeah, I don't know. I I definitely wouldn't frontline saying that you won't stay in the relationship for sure. But I think it's important to have tried to figure out for yourself if you think that you can be happy outside of that. Right. I think it is also important to know that that might be your partner's decision because that might be, hey, babe, I want to be Polly, yada, yada, yada their response might be, see ya. Well, that's part of why I think it's an important question to ask, because if you could be happy staying in the relationship without being polyamorous... You might want to think about it. (laughs) Yeah. If you sit there and you go through it and you go, you know what, if they say no, 
I'm just not going to, I'm fine with that. Right. And you're really fine with that. You might want to go back and go, okay, well, let's do some more slow searching back to the why question. Right. Why do you even want to ask something that could, as you say, just asking could cause your relationship to end potentially because there are people who don't want to be with someone that they think has that mindset, for instance. Right. Although that's probably not the most healthy relationship. And so maybe it would be okay if that ended, but you should be aware that even asking could end your relationship because I think it's hard to put that out there, say it's something you want, argue past passionately for it and then go, okay, well, I'll just give that up and have your partner see you the same way they did before. Right. If you can just give up something you're that passionate about, like I got issues then. (laughs) Yeah. We have a whole nother set of issues. That's why I was saying that you want to think about if you could stay with them if it's a no, because if it's a yes, you might just should stay with them as it is. Right. I mean, if you're really comfortable talking about it, if you think you have a good rapport, if it's not a scary conversation, go for it. But if it's a super scary conversation and you're totally like, I could stay monogamous. Then you might want to. Yeah. Maybe just stay monogamous. I definitely think relationships are a lot better if they start as whatever they're going to be. They definitely work better. Change is not good for a relationship. Yeah, that kind of change, that foundational kind of change that sort of changes the entire basis that you build everything on is, I mean, in many ways, it's like starting dating that same person from scratch, only with a a giant armful of emotional baggage. Well, you're definitely tearing down the house and trying to rebuild it with the same materials. Yeah. Yeah. Into a different structure this time. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely easier to start from scratch with the foundation of we're poly than it is to start with a monogamous foundation and then break it all down and try and build poly. Yeah. Or like in my case, technically we were sort of monogamous at the beginning, but even from day one, I was like, there's this other woman. I'm trying to figure this out. Here's how, so we were always in a weird flux space. And then when we were like, all right, well now we need to nail down this flux space. I was like, well, because of my experience, I don't think that monogamy is right. Right. So when we did actually end up nailing it down, it was different. So it looks kind of like we were monogamous to, to open, but I don't think we were. And I don't actually know any, one, not that there is no one, but I don't actually know anybody who's has a really 10 year long plus running relationship that was monogamous, that became open, that I really look up to as super healthy. Jerry and I were, have always been poly. Right. And we've been together for eight years now. No, no, that's what I'm saying. I don't know anyone that started monogamous. Oh, oh okay. Sorry. And moved to being open and has what I would call a healthy relationship after 10 years. I know a lot of people who started poly or not sure or whatever and stayed that way. <laughs> And I know a lot of monogamous people that stay in that way. I know a lot of older couples and older people that kind mm-hmm. of figured out they were, that it was an option. Again, that word wasn't around. Sure. For a lot of us, that word wasn't around 20 years ago. So mm-hmm. they figured it out and took their partner along with them. Now they're poly. So I don't know. I would say that I know a handful of people that are, that the relationship started monogamous. There you go. That's pretty hopeful. I, if it fair play, I only know like five or six older poly couples. Oh. <laughs> and, and of course, that is to separate success from survival of a relationship. Because in polyamory, we don't say a relationship's a failure. It can be quite successful and still end. Absolutely. It depends on the structure, what you need, what's good for everybody in the relationship, etc. So I don't mean it as a failure. I just, a lot of people, that the transition eventually sort of transitions them out of that relationship. But again, I also don't know anybody who was more than 10 years into a monogamous relationship before they switched so i think that also helps i think people who were like married for 10 20 30 years and then decided to open up probably have a much higher success rate yeah than people that were like together married for like four or five years and then tried to open up and then you haven't really settled out what it is to be with a person in five years so then to foundationally redirect it is yes (laughs) a very a very difficult prospect i think you're adding a lot of weight so this is why i say i think you should know 
if you could be happy without it. Yeah. Because if you could be, it may be worth at least seeing how that relationship goes. Because that relationship could still end, and then you could still then build your next relationship as being polyamorous at the beginning. Yes, I agree. But it is a difficult, extra difficult journey if you're the person bringing it up. Yes. Now, what do you do if someone brings it to you? So obviously you don't have any of that guilt that goes with being the person that decides to bring it up. You're not the one rewriting the relationship, etc. No, you're the one that's kind of punched in the gut. Because it is a gut punching. So the the first thing to do, of course, is if someone brings this to you, is that someone wanting to open their relationship, by and large, is not about you not being good enough. If you weren't good enough, they would just break up with you. Because that's, I mean, that is it. You're immediately going to think, this is about me. This is about my faults and my lack of this and my inability to do that and... It's not about you. It's definitely not. It's fundamentally not. You can have, there is nothing that I want that my partner does not provide me. Right. And yet, I have a very strong need as far as my fulfillment to be able to be with other people authentically. Now, you use two different words in two different statements. Okay. You said there's nothing that you want that your partner doesn't provide for you. Because you know I'm a stickler about want and need. And then sure, you sure. said... But you have a need Mm -hmm. for outside fulfillment for... Sure. Okay, so I guess a better way to say this is there's nothing that my partner could do better than she does it that would change my need for outside fulfillment. There you go, yeah. How about that? So there's nothing that... When I said want, I meant like want from her. Yes. So there's nothing that I think, well, if she could add this, if she could just give me that, uh, then I wouldn't need to be Polly. Yeah. So the from her part was the part that was... Yeah. Yeah. So that's an important thing is that this is not about any lack that you might have. Right. And in fact, as as you just heard us ruminate for like seven minutes, I'm going, maybe just don't change the relationship if you don't feel the need to. If they're coming to you, they understand that this is going to be a lot of work. It's big. It's very dangerous, that it's very hard. And it is probably because they value you so highly that they have decided to talk through this. They're signing up for a boatload of emotional labor. Yep. Anybody that decides to tell their partner about this is signing up for just mad of work because when you go to your partner to tell them this that's terrifying it's terrifying but it is a sign of respect it is a sign that your partner that's coming to you with this cares about you cares about your feelings still wants you in their life right still wants you most likely to be in the same position that you're in in their life or they mm-hmm. would have just dipped right you know and, they, they or, would have just been like cheated. i'm Paul, right or cheated yeah but they, really they obviously respect you enough to come to you with this it is a sign that they do still want you you're obviously right. doing something right and that they want to share with you right in fact for most of us a lot of the best part of polyamory is sharing and i don't mean sexually sharing or threesomes or whatever i mean being able to come home and, and say i had a great time with my partner the same way you'd say i got a promotion yep and you share your good news with the other people that you love you we love to see our partners happy and and hopefully your partner also thinks that this would actually be better for you i mean i think a lot of us after a lot of time thinking and reading think that if you can do polyamory it is probably something that is better for you yes emotionally it's less controlling you know and you, you know because you can do polyamory and never date anyone and still be polyamorous because you have the mindset that you could, that right. you have the choices, that it's about your choice to relate to people. I love it when people say I'm not poly right now. Yeah. I, I think we've said this one. before in, a, <laughs> in one of the other episodes, but I'm, like, I'm not poly right now. We've been poly in the past. 
And we've, we've talked about that on the show a couple of times. I maintain that you are polyamorous if you have the I well, do, mindset yeah, that to be polyamorous yeah. and the ability to have additional loving relationships should you want to, should you find someone that you think is appropriate. Because it's definitely very belittling to say that, I mean, no one says it about any other relationship. Nobody says, well, I was monogamous in the past, but now I'm just not dating people. Now I just don't have sex. <laughs> No, I mean, you're still monogamous right. if you're monogamous, right? I had multiple friends in the past, but I really just try and concentrate on one friend now. Yeah. <laughs> it's even weirder because I say I used to be polyamorous. Like, I used to have, I used to believe in friends. I used to have friends. Right. I, I don't, I used to engage in friendship. Like, now I just don't do friendship because I don't have any friends at the moment. Like, mm. no, like, you still are a person that has, you know, has the capacity for friendship. You just right. don't currently have any friends around you. So someone's coming to you. So these are the things to keep in mind. We're going to say the same thing to you, which is you need to go off and you need to ask yourself, you know, yes. can I be polyamorous? Think about it. And also there are some warning signs, by the way. So I wanted them to answer the question, could they do it without polyamory so they could consider not going that route unless they were sure of it. But if they come to you and just do it as an ultimatum, like we're going to be open or I'm leaving. Not okay. You should very harshly consider leaving. <laughs> and an ultimatum is super Red warning flag. sign. Yeah, it's a huge <laughs> warning sign when someone comes to you with an ultimatum about letting other people into your relationship, etc. That is not great. But assuming they come to you respectfully and say, hey, this is the thing I want to talk to you about. I understand if it's something you don't want to do, but here's why I think we should do it. Here's why it's important to me. Here's how I feel about it. Then you need to go and do the soul searching on your own. And I think it's okay here to ask for time. I would ask for time. I would say, I need to go read. I need time. Oh, yeah. I think that that time's mandatory. I think that should be like a... Nobody should make a rash decision in that first no. conversation. No, but, and this is actually something from, from more than two. So I, I have some reservations about parts of the book, but it's generally a good book. I would buy it. I would read it. I did buy it. I did read it. <laughs> but one of the strategies that they suggest in that book, which I think is a brilliant strategy, is that you should always take time that you need, but time should always be set up as a time limit, a reasonable time limit. You should be able to come back and extend it if you, you know, if you use what you guys decide, but you should say something like, I need a month to think about this. I need a month to go right. do the reading. Not, I just need to think about this. Right. Because a lot of times what happens is, and this is bad for both of you really, is you get locked in who's going to be the first person to rebroach the topic. Right. Heidi hole. So you say, well, I need time to think. And then you just hope it goes away. But it's not like going away. It's just getting weird and festering. And they don't want to bring it up because they feel like they're attacking you. And you don't want to bring it up because you don't want it to go forward. And everybody's uncomfortable. And So I think vice versa, you want to ask if you are the person asking and they say any time to think and they don't give you a time frame say can can we schedule a time to come back and talk about this so, yes so that you don't feel and are not in truth pressuring them or causing them anxiety about when you're going to ask that sort of thing if you are going to put a moratorium on talking about it then that needs to be a shorter time frame it should be a few days yeah i mean i would even have a hard time going two weeks i'm gonna be honest if it was like i broke something that big and you were like we're just not gonna talk at all for two weeks about it that'd be hard for me on that it depends side. on how busy you are like it depends on how busy you are yeah there's a <laughs> lot of context so it's whatever yeah. works for you i mean some people are comfortable with that some people aren't i have to say i have no equivalent experience the other direction and none of the three of us do because right. sarah started dating somebody who was open so she didn't have to think about that we're afterwards. more instigators for sure the three of us yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we instigated in our own relationships, et cetera. <laughs> so I've never actually had someone come to me with something that foundational. And that's why, I, that's why I'm trying to be extra generous about it. Like, I would be willing to give my partner quite a large latitude in what they said they needed, especially because I've just never experienced what that looks like. Right. So hey, those of you who are on the other side, you can comment and tell us how long you thought it you really needed to, before you could start talking regionally or rationally about it. Yeah, <laughs> if, you could give us, if you could give us time frames, that would really help us 
for sure. <laughs> okay, once you've decided if you are or aren't going to talk about it, because obviously if you say, I want to do this, and your partner's like, well, then I'm out. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> then now you all you have to do is figure out how to start being poly from scratch, which just go listen to all the rest of the episodes and you're good. Right. But if they go, okay, how does that work? How do we do that? What does that look like? Then what is the next thing you do? So you're going to, if they didn't do a ton of the reading and fact finding during their soul searching part of this process, now is the time to have them go do that. Or do it together. Or do it together. Doing it together is the most fun, I have to say. I definitely remember reading Sex at Dawn with my partner and going, oh, I found out this cool fact about penis. <laughs> and then just sitting around and reading about sperm together like is i don't know it was fun but yeah no do it together that way you know you can ask each other the questions or you can come up with a list of questions for somebody that maybe you know is poly or to present to a counselor a marriage counselor mm-hmm. a relationship sure. counselor yeah and don't underestimate how useful counselors are that is yeah. poly friendly because there's not a sure. ton of poly-friendly counselors out there. You do need to find a poly-friendly counselor. Yes, and if you need help doing that, please contact one of us and we will Mm -hmm. absolutely help you find one. We do have a list, that's true. Yes. So I'm going to backtrack just real quick and throw this out before we go forward, but I do, you know, talk about doing it together. I do also think that one way, if you haven't already got into all of this, but you're just starting to question whether or not at the very, very, very tip, and even you have no idea if poly is right for you at all, that is also a really good time to tell your partner. Like, I heard about this thing i think it's kind of interesting do you want to research it with me and we can see what we think about it because that also feels very non-threatening and it's about the two of you doing it together and you go through the research together and you decide together i guess i was just sort of assuming because when i get this question how do you open your relationship it's from people that know they want to i just had a great idea and (laughs) their partner doesn't just a way to to approach this with a partner hey did you know that so and so was polyamorous what do you think about that <laughs> and be able to i mean that's a great way to bring it up sure and you kind of like can gauge where your partner is on it or polyamorous celebrities you don't have to know them neil gaiman and amanda palmer are polyamorous people say that will smith and jada pinkett smith are polyamorous or at least open mm. but it's a great idea to feel out a partner maybe before y- you approach them i i do think it's an ingenious way to gauge your partner's interest level and safety level i will give you that i I grant you that completely my concern there is it is a little bit opaque it is a little bit in a sense dishonest that you know that there's a thing that you want to talk about and you're sort of trying to get their response without actually telling them what you're asking them to respond to and i think there is something totally different between someone saying hey this celebrity is doing x because a lot of times people are going to react the way that they think you want them to react or the way they expect the conversation to go so they might be like that's terrible i'd never allow that but if you actually said hey i really mean it and you could be with someone else too and then it might be like you might basically miss out on a good opportunity by doing it that way like they might respond more inauthentically to the theoretical than to the actual discussion so now that we we got this on the table and we've gotten to a point where we're having a conversation, you've hopefully fast forwarded, you've done the research. I hope now you've listened to a lot of our podcasts with them. You've shared books, you've discussed stats, you've talked about theoretical situations, how it's going to work, what it looks like practically on the ground. So then, then what? So then the next thing is you need to sit down and write out a list of what you're hoping to get out of this, but also what you're scared of losing out of this. Because as we talked about a lot of times, jealousy is 
is about fear of loss. Yes. So if you can both get a list of like, well, I'm worried I won't see you as much. I'm worried we'll have less date days. Right. And you can then go through those and go, well, how can we get you the whatever? Let's find the need there. You yes. Know? So if you want two dates a week, can I commit to getting you two dates a week and going on new dates? Right. And I think what's important is that you're identifying your needs mm-hmm. and they're identifying their needs and not right. what they want you to do or what's okay that you do to them. You know what I mean? Like the like you said, the I need two dates a week, not you can only go on one date a week. That's right. That's right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And that was why the right. So yeah, if that was not explicit enough, you're talking about what you need and then if you have fears, what your fear translate your fears back into needs. Right. So not I'm afraid you'll go out every night of the week because that shouldn't be a problem if I'm seeing you enough. Exactly. Whatever enough looks like. So if we've only been going on two dates a week or one date a week and we're happy with that. You're not going to need me five nights a week. Right. Yeah. You won't suddenly need me five nights a week. And there's a lot of really weird things that you start having to realize that you just took for granted in your relationship. Like some people really like to have someone sleeping with them in the bed. And that was one that was early on a thing where it was like, well, wait, so you're not going to be here some nights? You know, I don't care if you're out. I just want you to come home and be a teddy bear, you know? Yeah. You know, obviously that's not going to be one that you can realistically acquiesce to. You can't say I'll be home every single night. I'll sleep with you every single night and really date other people. Right. Probably. (laughs) And I don't see it working. Yeah, it doesn't seem great. (laughs) But I I think it's important that, that each partner or each person comes to the table with what their needs are Mm -hmm. and not from the other way around of what their restrictions are. Right. Of course, I think it's more natural to come with your restrictions. And what you're doing there really is you're trying to solve the other person's problem. This logic is common in contracting as well. So you take someone who's an expert at something, right? Yes. I do house repairs, so I pay my bills. And a lot of times I'll go to clients who will call me, they'll pay me, and they'll say, I want you to. And they'll literally just give me step-by-step instructions, and they don't know anything about house repair. (laughs) And it's always a worse job. It's always more expensive. It always requires more upkeep. I do this for a living. I'm going to be better at it than you. And so the thing is that they try and solve their own problem before they bring you in and tell you what to do. And so that's the same thing here where it's like your actual problem is you want to make sure you get the same, like you still get your two dates a week. And you're trying to solve that by saying, well, you can only go on one date a week. But even if I only go on one date a week, you still might not get your two dates a week if that's what you really want. Right. You need to figure out what it is you actually want, not try and solve the, not try and create a cage that keeps your partner from creating a problem for you. And your partners are going to be, your partner is going to be more receptive mm-hmm. to this is what I need instead sure. of this is what you can't do. Well, partly because needs are just more fun. Like I want to see you twice a week is a exciting thing to hear. You're not allowed to see anyone else more than once a week is a frustrating, upsetting thing to hear. Shitty. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you as the partner are actually sitting around three nights a week bored and alone mm-hmm. and you've been told you can go on a date <laughs> and then you get into some weird, easily petty stuff like, oh, well, if I can only see a person once a week, then you have to go on four dates with me a week because I need someone to do those other two days that no one's doing right now. <laughs> right. And you you see people do that and they, you know, and they get into, anyway, oh, yeah. it doesn't go well. So yeah, focus on, on what you actually need and then be really honest and realistic about if you actually need it because people will try and, I don't even think intentionally, but they'll sort of, they'll sort of pad their needs to make dating realistically impossible for the other person. Yes. So they'll say, well, all I need is six dates a week. Well, that's the whole, like, I need you home every night because I need right. someone to cuddle with. Right. Nope. Get a teddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> So you have to be realistic about that. And of course, when you're really doing your needs assessment, this is another place where you may end up breaking up or restructuring your relationship alternatively. 
because yeah. if you really need one person to sleep with you literally every night and you're just not happy if that doesn't happen then and your partner wants to be poly then chances are good that you might need to restructure that relationship somehow yeah maybe you get a different partner and you still see them sometimes but then come home at night to your partner who you sleep with i don't know but <laughs> This is a place where that can happen because there are needs that when you get down to it end up, no matter how much soul-searching and honesty you do, not being safely negotiable Right. that can contradict. And if that happens, I'm going to say what I have often said, which is a relationship that has contradictory true needs, i.e. both people actually need these things to be happy, you want to restructure that relationship sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's not a it's not a healthy relationship. If you truly love someone, you truly care about them, you want their needs met. You you need their needs met. Sure. If you stay in a relationship where your needs are conflicting mm-hmm. and you're saying, I don't care about your needs, I still want this relationship. Right. Then that's that's not love. That's some weird fucking obsession shit. <laughs> that's yeah. that's not that's not healthy. If you were willing to sacrifice what you thought was a need but could get along without that would be fine. But if you're saying, well, my need is a real need and your need has to be sacrificed because these are conflicting, then that's bad, obviously. Right. Then you you don't care about that person, I don't think, as much as you thought you did, maybe. Right. And if someone's saying that to you, that's another one of our warning signs, you might want to just consider leaving anyway. So (laughs) working out that needs list. This can be a relatively slow process, but I do still think that this, like everything else, you should, whenever possible, whenever you can get both of you to agree on it, you should set time goals. Like, ooh, we should get our needs list in one month or two weeks or whatever works for you. I know a lot of couples who are in what I would call negotiation limbo. They've been discussing it Mm -hmm. for years. Really what that means is one of the partners is a no, but doesn't want to lose the partner that's a yes. And so they keep saying, we'll talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not, <laughs> that's, that's not great. Uh-uh. And I think the other thing not to underestimate is how long it really takes you to get, at least right now still, I think, comfortable and in the swing of being in a poly community. Relearn, you just have to relearn dating. It's like starting middle school and moving back up again, I swear. Yeah. So, you know, you don't want to be stuck in limbo because you can say something like, well, as long as I can date someone in the next three years, that'd be cool. But then you get in limbo for two years and it takes you two or three years to figure out how to date. And then suddenly you're two or three years behind what you really needed and you're unhappy and uncomfortable and trapped. And I I will say this for more than two, if you want a litany of the most sort of toxic versions of slowly becoming monogamous, totally read that book because they they had some horrible vetoing and uh, just like super hierarchical and controlling other relationship stories to to walk you through and and why you don't want to go that route. And that that is the next thing I'm going to say, which is whatever then, you know, needs and discussions and agreements you have, your need statements cannot apply to people who aren't around yet. Right. I'm I'm going to need my future partner yeah. to do this for me. We're patently against veto arrangements. We're patently against setting limits and structures on the kind of relationships your partners can have. I think yeah. that's right, right? I don't think we, we think that's good. No. There's a lot of common, really weird ones, like no loving them more than me. <laughs> I think that's actually an example in more than two as well. I think it's one of the rules they had. But I've, I've heard that in other places as well. But, you know, I, I want to, as long as I'm always the most important person or whatever right like, so how as, would you, as, I'm, as long as i'm number one in your life how would you even measure something right. like that you know so if, if you're dealing with needs you can do that and i i talked before about how i take the approach that all relationships and while there's myriad types of relationships include a one-to-one relationship so if the agreements between you can only be carried out if another person 
is playing by your rules, then there's a, there's a problem in your agreement. Right. So if your agreement is you will go on two dates a week with me, with your partner, there's nothing that any other partner can do that stops them from having two dates with you. And if you have a problem, you don't have a problem with the other partner. You don't have a problem with the fact that they didn't go on the two dates that they agreed to go on with you. Yeah, right. That's the kind of relationship structure you want. And I am a pretty firm believer of you can't put stipulations on someone who's not your direct partner. Absolutely. No, no. I, I'll go, I'll go beyond whatever firm believer is on that. That's 100%. You just, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I don't have a, I don't have, I have a metamor relationship with my metamors if I have a relationship with them. And that just depends on, you know, if we do or don't, but, but they can talk to me about what our relationship looks like, but they for sure can't tell my partner what my relationship looks like with my partner. Right. That for me is a zero go zone. Yeah. And I think that goes along with the whole, you can't speak for non-existent future partners. Yeah. You know. Or current partners that aren't here. Right. Well, I mean, like, you know, like you said, like, future partner B may need this, this, and this. And you can't say, well, you can't do this with future partner C. And it just, you you can't set those restrictions for people who don't exist yet. Yeah. And you can't accept those set those restrictions for people that do exist. Sure. But especially those, the, the relationships that are, haven't even happened yet. Yeah. Because each is unique. Yeah. You don't even have information on what those relationships will look like, for sure. Right. So none of your agreements should be about what your other relationships will look like. I think that's clear. Yeah. Um, your agreements should always be about what your relationship will look like, not what other relationships in, won't in, look in like. In all honesty, that's the only relationship you have control over. What very sure. little ha- control you have over that is that is that's the only one that you have control over, any control. It's the only relationship you actually participate in. You're not in the other right. person's relationships. Yeah, I think that's really clear. All right, so then you write out a starting, and this is good advice for anyone, actually. My parents, freaking 40 years ago, when they went to their marriage counseling at church, which you had to do before they'd allow you to get married back in the day. Yeah, my parents still church, do they that in Yeah, I know, I know, some do. Yeah, a lot of parents' church would not marry you if you didn't go to their marriage counseling first to make sure they thought you were basically prepared to be married. But the advice, one of the the good advice that they got that they passed on to me was that their pastor actually had them write down their needs from each other. They did a needs contract, and they said, here's what I need from you, and then they said every... I forget, I think it was once a year. Once a year, sit down and revise this. That's a lot what Relationship Agreements is about, the book yeah. that I was telling you mm-hmm. about earlier. Yeah, great. So go look at that. That's going to have really yes. good detailed advice since we're just a 45-minute podcast and not a book. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a workbook, too. So nice. it's, yeah, it's a really, really great source for that. Yeah, so do that either through that book or on your own. I think they did it every year for like five years and they started doing it like every five years as they sort of settled into things. And then, you know, I think like, they it's do it every... not changing that much. Now That's... they do it, I think, like every 10 years. But, you know, they'll it's say, you know, quarterly. after 10 years, you're still sort of a different person. You yeah. Know, no matter how old you are and how long you've been together, that changes. Well, I think after after five years, you're definitely a different person than you were five years before that. That's good advice for absolutely everybody. But definitely when you're going into very new territory. That's, that's great advice for existing couples couples that have never done it before like that that, that even aren't even trying to open up just oh, no, sit down and talk about your I said, needs that's that's good advice for every couple because I, yeah. I do i do tell people you know when they ask me i say this is a show about interpersonal relationships friends or romantic whatever that uses the lens of polyamory because we're yeah. more critical because we don't take as given what relationships are supposed to look like so that gives us more questioning which is more useful <laughs> but the, the, hopefully anyone can get something out of this and this is a big one for anybody which is do these relationship contract type things yeah and then and then have have a planned review time the other thing yeah. i'll say 
that this worked really well for my partner and I, and this is similar, which is that anytime we were both single, once we started really dating, which took a couple of years to successfully do, but we had the we had this requirement regardless, even though we didn't do it. But for the first like three or four years, you know, anytime we were both not dating anyone but each other, we would sit down and reevaluate, like a full reevaluation, because that's the time when you're not going to hurt anybody. <laughs> yeah. If you do do that, you know, so if you decide to change your mind, right, if you decide you want to restructure something, if you decide you want to massively overhaul your needs, those are the times to do it that are, I mean, the easiest, first of all, because it's not going to cause fighting in the same way, but also just the most ethical, because you're not, it's really hard to dramatically restructure the needs that someone else's relationship was built around and not mess with their relationship yeah not impossible you still need to do that even if you when you do have multiple successful relationships you still need to renegotiate your needs every so often right but do know you are still fucking with the foundation but if you find yourself not dating anyone but each other that's a great time to stop and go hey we have this exciting opportunity to go over everything make sure we're still on the same page still have the same needs still have the same wants and i think that brings up a great point is that when you sit down with your partner for the first time and you do write this list of needs and what you need and what you don't need, because I think those are just as important, that they're going to change. They're going to change in six months. You may realize that that actually wasn't a need Mm -hmm. or that you do have needs that you didn't realize. So know that that's not in blood yeah and that they're supposed to change that's what you want you want people thinking about what's going on what's working for them what would work better what they don't need because yeah that's right you totally get into the situation where you come up with your first relationship contract and then afterwards when you want to change it the other person feels betrayed or you feel betrayed that's not what we talked about yeah that's not (laughs) what we agreed to when we started so i think what you should agree to when you start is that it's going to be a continually evolving process (laughs) yeah (laughs) I think that's about time for us today. And I think we did a... I'm pretty pleased with the way we covered that. Yeah, and if if we didn't cover something, please, please message us, leave a comment, email us, get in contact with us, and we will try and do our best to answer your question. Yeah, that's right. Or point you in a direction that has the best answer. Well, and, you know, there's so much content here that you could do a show about just how opening up works, people's stories from opening up, tips for opening up every day for a year, or every week for a year, your weekly broadcast you could do that we're going to end up circling back to topics again and moving topics forward but that's for but for for what we can do in the time that we have i think we we hit the things that i wanted to hit mm-hmm. right, to go over the resources again more than two by franklin bow great book i think it has a workbook in it too doesn't it have a jealousy workbook i don't know if a newer version of that does doesn't it have two authors why do i want to say it's eve her name's Eve. The other book is Relationship Agreements, a simple and effective guide for strengthening communication, reducing conflict, and increasing intimacy to design your ideal relationship. By the way, that's for everybody. <laughs> that's for yeah. those of you who are not Polly and Polly. That's for everybody. Yes. And the author is, I think I'm pronouncing it right. It's Ari Cardos. E-R-I-K-A-R-D-O-S. If we ever don't pronounce your name right and you are the person writing these books, you can just write us and tell us. Yes. Or call us and tell us us how to pronounce your name and we'll, we'll issue an apology. Our episode for next time is discussing the ethical frameworks for self-value. So how do you determine what is good about yourself and how to value yourself outside of what other people give you as feedback? Because we had a, a listener that wrote us and said, I have trouble feeling good about myself without my partner saying you are good. So basically valuing so yourself. Meaning outside validation. On, right. You need outside validation. So especially when her partner's out on dates and she's alone at home, she would sort of spiral. Those and so suck, the question, dude. Yeah. 
So the question is, how do you create that self, that value for yourself, which is, I think, amazing because it leads to the really difficult question of how do you determine anyone's value? What is the ethical framework? What is the requirement for value for a person? Dun, dun, dun. You know, how do you do that? So that's what we're going to cover next time. I'm very excited. <laughs> All right, everybody have a great week and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.